Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, an unofficial podcast on the FX television series. Fargo Talks Fargo is hosted by me, Bill, and my buddy, Sharpie. Doot, doot. This season of Fargo Talks Fargo is sponsored by Fargo Brewing and their wood chipper IPA. Visit FargoBrewing.com to find out more. Also, brought to you by Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo and sign up. And we get some credit for it. And you can hook yourself up with a free 30-day trial. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But uh, this week, we've been having a lot of schedule stuff going on. Usually, we've had guests. But we're really excited this week to have your close friend, Joe Riley. They call him JR. No, they don't. <laughs> Back on the show. Sorry, that's an inside joke. You can call me anything. They can call you Joe. I just yes. call you Joe Riley. Back on the show, who is also one one half of grillingaddiction.com that Sharpie also helps do. And I know, I feel like la- I'm talking about this right off the bat. Had nothing to do with Fargo, but we're going to do it. You guys are going to do it. Yes. The what? podcast for what? Grilling Addiction is coming back. Mark our words this time. That said, the gift of the Magi. Here we are. Yes. It is war. <laughs> it's, it's war, Ma. So we all knew it was coming, and now we're in it. We're halfway through the season. We're more than halfway through now, if you've seen episode five, The Gift of the Magi. And we are full-blown in a bloodbath. Oh, we're in the shit now. I can't believe it's halfway through. <laughs> I'm, I thought the same thing. When I was typing up last week's thing and I actually wrote episode five, I thought, damn, mm-hmm. halfway done. I don't like the sound of that. I do, but I don't. Every episode to this point's obviously been really good, but this... I was waiting for this episode. Not to say that it was better, worse, whatever, but this this was the one, the payoff, kind of, you know? Or at least it really got the, the juices going. Yeah, right. You're yeah, like, I mean, been- it, the wind-up had... It, everything is winding up, you know, to be a pretty tight little situation, and this is just the sort of release that everybody was waiting for. Yeah, I knew Hansy was going to be a badass, so now it's confirmed. I think... <laughs> I, like the, I like the fact, too, that... Um, it was constructed in a way that it didn't build to the end of the episode to this okay corral shootout. Right. I like the fact that it was like, hey, here's this uh, voiceover of Ronald Reagan. Uh, Which was and, so and, and perfect. Then, and then right over it is yeah. just like, boom. Mayhem. It's, it's going on. It's going on. I thought it was fantastic, but dumb. So I thought that speech was pretty interesting because that is an actual speech from Ronald Reagan. Yes. Yes, um, it is. And so we know that he's... Basic, he's famous for doing that speech when he announced his candidacy in 1979, which is the year we're in. Um, but that was uh, in November. The, the time that he is noted, the time that the speech was like most notable was nine days after um, the Iranian hostage crisis. Yeah. Or the Iran yeah. hostage crisis, rather. Um, and that was in November. But we do know um, that he did test out elements of that speech um, prior to that in smaller communities. So I think that's what we're seeing here. Uh-huh. It's him oh. testing out that uh, speech because we know it's uh, it's around March. Um, and I was looking at all the calendars to see if how much time had passed and calendars in the background. And there is a calendar um, right behind Hansi when he puts Rise belt buckle on the table. And you can't really see the month, but you can see where the days start in the month. And mm-hmm. interestingly... March and November, the first is both on the same day. Oh, um, so really? so I thought that was kind of weird. So I was like, wait, it, we didn't like skip forward to November because I know that speech happened in November. Um, well, I was actually kind of um, 
paying attention to the, I guess not paying attention to, but I noticed the weather and, you know, there's some snow, but it's not right. Obviously the middle of winter. And I, I actually was wondering that I was like, well, it's either no, yeah. before or after, after. Or, you know, December, January, February. Oh, kind of, yeah. So. And then when I thought they were hunting too, I'm like, you can't wait. So what you don't because typically hunting, hunt in March. Yeah, yeah, no, you no, can't. You, it'd you be can't. now. It'd be November, it, which it is would deer be, hunting. But it is. I'm pretty sure it's still right. November. I mean, yeah. and let's. I mean, on. it's not like they're going out and getting deer tags. I mean, they're hunting yeah. with, like, <laughs> with <laughs> they're hunting deer with <laughs> shotguns, rifles, yes. hey, and which bone is, arrow. Which is, you know, um, they could be shooting slugs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. you know, buckshot or what. You know, it's it's not yeah. it's not uh, it's not like that doesn't happen. But um, that was one thing I did notice too. Doesn't usually like, happen with a horde of gangsters, <laughs> right? And and like just all the guns laid out on the trunk and everything, <laughs> and like I I just couldn't help but the twins, the uh, the kitchen just, kitchen brothers, yeah, the <laughs> the prog rock. Band. I love that they still just fucking wear those that Coats. that get up and the leisure suit and shit, and they're and they're traipsing through the snow and these like leather shoes, and then great. their choices are still sawed off shotguns. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know, clearly they're not out for deer. You know, they're well, they're, they're just watching. You know, think, Joe's think, back. I think they would be doing it that way either way. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think they really would. Maybe they're out for some grouse and some pheasant. Yeah, Maybe right. <laughs> something like that. At but. really close range. <laughs> okay, so um. We kick off with a little bit of that split-screen intro action, and in one of those cells, we see Dodd and Hansi talking in Is the distance. Is he Hansi or Hansi, man? You guys are freaking me out right now, because <laughs> I've been saying Hansi. I think it's either. Okay. Potato, potato. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start calling him Joe Bullo then. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so Dode and Hansi. <laughs> Dode and Hansi. I don't know. Hainsey. Now I want to play it back and find out. <laughs> and Sorry. Beer. Uh, beer. Okay, so you see you see Hansi and Dodd um, sort of in the distance conversing <laughs> a little bit. So cl- clearly this is where Hansi's talking to Dodd and saying, hey, look, man, I found your bro's belt buckle. Um, and, you know, it was in this guy's fireplace. So that that's when the conniving starts to happen. The gears start turning for Dodd and how can he turn this is how cold he is like how can he turn his brother's uh death into an advantage for him he's not even it's, really thinking about rye i don't think you don't see a lot of emotion about the fact that his brother's dead i don't I, think he had i don't think he's actually capable of the only emotion we've seen him be fully capable of having is when he feels like he really disappointed his mother yeah and that was a weird scene where he weird. laid on her shoulder there in the back of the car. Mm, I think there was a little bit of he thought he was. I don't. Well, not weird in the sense like I don't feel like it fit the show. Well, I mean, it was weird just like no. I'm just to see him that way. I I'm mean, just totally, wondering now that was. he's. I'm just wondering that now that he's lied to her about the butcher of yeah. Laverne, yeah. if even the play in the car wasn't real. Oh, sure, could be. Yeah, he was I, like, I feel he, like he he's knew what he did and he's just doing searching for his for his way of, you know, manipulating the situation. You know, I don't know if yeah. you want to call it, you know, say, you know, he's a sociopath or, or oh, whatever. He's a total well, of sociopath. course he is. I mean, he's a, you know, brutal murderer starting well, from when he was 8 in maybe a movie Maybe he's not a theater. sociopath, he's just a fucker. But <laughs> but in in any case, it's weird because I'm kind of and and 
you guys correct me or not correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, maybe you guys don't see it this way at all. But in the same way that I rooted for, you know, Lauren, uh, Walter White. Oh, I, right. I catch myself like I'm kind of going for Dodd. Oh, like I, I realize he's the you know darkest, <laughs> worst asshole. You know, woman beating. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Guy, yeah. But you're going. You're going and, for Dodd. I I like the <laughs> aggression. I like. I mean, I guess it's because because he makes I, it interesting and he moves the story forward. Right. Uh, I'm not saying that I approve of his methods. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, 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 I sort of, you know, like, let's not kid ourselves. They are a crime family. Like, you know, I I like to see him being that character like his father he's being like his dad he's doing what his dad would do you know it's like take no shit from anybody you mess with us you're gonna get you're gonna get fucking killed is We're it kill you is it that you like that he also drives the tension and the violence is that what it is yeah yeah and yeah he he drives the you know obviously the story forward i mean without him there wouldn't be war he's making sure it's gonna happen because oh, yeah, that's what yeah. he wanted from the beginning Sure. And and I like that um, in the story. I like the you know, fuck it, let's go. This is it. Yeah. I don't take shit, you know, shit from me because I feel like he's full if throttle. If you were a successful crime family, you'd need you'd need that. You need an asshole. Yeah, of course. So I can dig it. So we got Dodd and Hanzi now making this plot to essentially start the war which i thought was a little bit weird because they go to floyd they twist the story a little bit they invent this character the butcher of laverne um they really just drive it into her in the sense of like you know this these guys are awful we gotta go down on, we gotta like we gotta come down hard on casey and they're setting up this war that they've always wanted and i thought it was interesting how hansi it's just like so loyal to Dodd, even though he's not like a dumb, he's not a dumb guy. He knows Dodd's like evil and conniving, I think, but is he just as much that way? I don't know. It seems like he has, you know, he has morals more so than Dodd would, but yet he still falls into Dodd's game plan. He, he has an interesting look in that scene to his face where he's, he's looking at Dodd and, He's falling. He's he's toeing the line, but at the same time, he has a look like watch his eyes go back and forth to Floyd. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. he seems slightly uneasy about the lie he's telling Floyd. Right. That's what I, I don't mean. know if he's. I don't know if he's uneasy with it. I maybe I, not uneasy. I don't I know think, if he enjoys. I it. think it's 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 a prime example of you know what he considered Dot his best friend. I don't know, but it's definitely that alpha male leader. You know relationship like i don't think that hansy hansy whatever um <laughs> I'm so, I'm so sorry to say whatever you is want. is is um as comfortable i don't want to say he's not as comfortable taking orders from floyd but i think you know we see or hear a little bit from bear where he talks about him coming into the family when he was nine years old and never complained and yep, all that yep. well i think he looks to dodd as the leader because he always looked to their dad as the leader. Okay. You know what I mean? I, sure. That's my, I, I don't know. So the war mm-hmm. goes down. We, well, we, we, we kick it off with that. Uh, I love how Kansas city is finagling with the government officials. So they're meeting with this. Um, they're taking, they're going hunting with this zoning commissioner. So they're basically getting in the pockets 
of all the politicians trying to weasel their way into mm -hmm. government and into politics to basically control the region. Um, and mm -hmm. right, right before this commissioner goes down, I thought he had something interesting to say because it's going along with the message that Reagan is saying that is kind of over going over the top of this. And he says, I believe this nation hungers for a spiritual revival. And then he goes, watch and learn, watch and learn, boom, gets shot in the head. So the fact that he's saying, I believe this nation hungers for a spiritual revival is, is kind of what Reagan is doing in his speech. He's using religion to grasp a situation where a country is not feeling confident in their government um, he's using religion. He's talking about the pilgrims and how they came and they were going to be this shiny city on a hill. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially equating America as to like a new, a new Israel. Um, right. And the pilgrims as like the next Jesus. And he's creating well, even this, he's using this, this religion to gain some power and to gain some fans and get the vote. And I thought that was really interesting. If you want to read more about that, there's an interesting book out there, and it's called The God Strategy. And it's all about um, American politics and how they use religion to make gains and use and basically use Christianity for strategy. Well, it's interesting, too, even with his comments about the longbow. Yeah, right. You know, that plays into exactly what you're saying as well. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So, I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was I'm still... I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the Hansi thing. So while you guys have been talking, I'm listening, but I, I scrubbed back through it with just the closed captions on. And here's, here's why I don't think she buys Dodd all the time. There's that scene, and, and there's something about Hansi won't lie to me because remember when he was saying, oh, it was this, he was marked, and she pounds her hand on the table, and she says, I want to hear it from him. Yeah. That's why I'm saying that somehow Han she actually trusts Hansi, Hansi, she trusts Han Solo to tell more, the truth. Yeah, <laughs> to tell the truth more than her own son. Well, because I think she knows think, God's motives. Yeah, but I think this is. I, I'm. I guess I'm bringing it up because I think this is going to come back. I freaking Absolutely. loved how excited he was. Yeah, when he, he was came just back in the giddy. kitchen. He had that apple, and he was like, "They're going to come back at us hard." You know, like he <laughs> was just happy so about happy. <laughs> yeah, he was so happy. It's like he's ruined the Garden of Eden. He's eating well, that apple. He got what he mm -hmm. wanted. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's yeah, a good right. one. Eating Bill. the apple. Yeah. Well, do we since you're bringing that up, should we play? Let's yeah. So he comes some. into the kitchen with that apple, and, and uh, here's, it goes down and the bell buckle. Like this. Just a great scene. Here we go. Oh yeah, we got him. Who loved him? Oh yeah. <laughs> the flinch no, there. The He's other thing too is about that somebody that's gonna come, gonna want to come kill them. I don't know if these yeah. things mean anything, but it was the Try. only it was the only red apple in that whole bowl of fruit. Everything else was green and yellow. Um, but Sharpie <laughs> found something interesting, uh, and that was the fact that the "we got him" thing was a. Was the, it just a made me think of, of the time when we caught Saddam Hussein when right. the United States Which, captured Saddam Hussein, and you know Joe Bulo looks pretty freaking close to Saddam, Saddam Hussein. Hussein. Yeah. Oh wait, here's coming the, out of that. Here you go, Sharpie. Rat hole. Here here's your clip. Here's the clip. Press Ladies conference from C-SPAN. We got him. Hey! <laughs> so I don't know if that was just a coincidence that he happens to look a lot like Saddam Hussein or if maybe that they made him look like that to foreshadow you know, him getting captured. But, I mean, he wasn't yeah, beheaded or anything. Right. But 
I thought it was interesting. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that just, just saying that phrase, like you, they could have said anything else, but they said, we got him. Um, so uh, uh, more to this like sort of like friction between the family, we start to see a lot of, um, since we're talking about the Gearhearts and we're talking about the war, this we're seeing the two brothers, Bear and Dodd, get further and further apart. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, first of all, we see a lot of emotion coming out of Bear right away when he, when he finally comes to the realization that Rai is dead and Rai is no longer. Yeah. And we see this big bear crying. And the audience is going, it, I mean, he's already captured the audience. We already know he's a softy and he's just, he's just that big bear, you know, he's just a big huggable bear. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows out, it comes out even more because he knows Dodd and Hanzi are up to no good he knows that he knows that that was a lie i'm sure i like the crying too because it was like <clears throat> excuse me blink and you missed it you know it wasn't yeah. an over-the-top breakdown thing it was just a very subtle solitary tear you know yeah you know and i i went back and looked and it was it was actually both, both eyes uh, yeah <laughs> yeah but but regardless it was like like an acceptable cry mm-hmm. you know what i mean <laughs> at least for you like, like well, one more tear and you would have been like you pussy there right exactly yeah exactly your brother died you well he's a classic pussy. middle child i think definitely the weird one. i mean if you ever read the birth order book uh, you know you have the american families that have three children they all fall in a very specific thing and there's something middle childy about bear hmm. about how he's just in the middle and he's he's kind of he's not the he's not the wild card that the youngest is and uh yeah Anyway, I, I thought too that the scene that you're talking about that they're separating and then they're even on different sides of the porch. Um, it makes me start the more we talk about it, it makes me start to wonder if who if Dodd dies, who at whose hand will he die? And I'm starting to wonder if there's a really, really It could be bear. It could be bear. Oh, that line where he's uh giving him shit about taking orders from a woman and then he's like obviously we don't know too much about bears wife ex-wife whatever obviously probably not ex-wife i'm guessing she passed away but um maybe that's already been covered but let's play you have that queued up bill yeah i do let's play this uh this conversation because i think it's pretty important uh i've for some reason i'm all about foreshadowing with this episode and i think this this quick little one minute segment um and it it has to do it, it has what you're talking about joe um, it, it, it's going to be kind of pivotal or not maybe pivotal but it's going to be it's going to come back to us down the road so let's hear what these two have to say to each other what the hell are you doing get back to work that's my man you need to talk to him you talk to me first last time I checked everyone here worked for one person Ma you actually like it huh taking orders from a woman hmm <laughs> Is that how it was in the bedroom with Cassie? Don't you talk about her. She'd strap one on, bend you over the bed, and show you who's boss. <laughs> There's gonna be a reckoning one day, brother. Anyone knows the dog barking where he's basically mentioning doggy style? <laughs> right. Idiot. We all get what we deserve. That just can't be anything other than foreshadowing. Right. In the end. So here's here's what I think about that. I mean, that I think is just laying it all out on the table for us in the sense that um, no, that's Dodd, not so or, subtle. <laughs> bears, bears clearly a Gerhardt that everybody's on the side of. Everybody loves uh, Bear. Everybody everybody knows that 
Except Dobb me. is the bad guy. Nah, um, so I, I don't know about I that. Think that <laughs> <laughs> I think that he's... I think Bear's going to come out of this season unscathed or, you know, he's going to survive. Dodd's obviously not. I think that's what I, this one sentence, uh, this one conversation kind of foreshadows. I just thought of this, so not to jump off this subject, but, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, wow, is Bear going to be the one that ends up with the shiny red apple? And then I started to think, well, interesting that Dodd came into the kitchen after that. Mm-hmm seen and grabbed a shiny red apple i don't know again yeah. if that's well bear only eats to it but bear yeah. only eats meat on the bone <laughs> right. so far <laughs> what we've learned lives on turkey legs <laughs> and uh yeah and dodd just it's, ate the poisonous apple right i yeah i just feel like there's a lot of um um what's the what's the word i'm looking for here bill um, symbology yeah, sim- <laughs> symbolism <laughs> Sim- symbology well in, in our in our new pseudo breakdown we didn't hear anything bad from anybody about the way we kind of changed a little bit about how we break the show up here so that was that was our big section on the war but i, I did i don't think it means anything but you know uh in the hot dish i said hey where the hell was mike milligan what was up with that yeah, that was interesting and so when i rewatched, i finally was like oh he was there i just he was there at the hunting scene. He just, he's the one who showed up. He said something and they were like, we got a problem. He's like, nope. But then he goes and gets back. And I wondered who's that other guy that he got in the car with. He was there, huh? And what's interesting, interesting, knowing what we know, spoilers, everything is that when he got in the car with that guy, he was in the front seat. Yeah. When he rides with the kitchens, they're both up front. He's in back. Mm-hmm. And even after the kitchen brother was dead in the one scene, it was still Mike Milligan in the back seat. Mm-hmm. Like, not going to sit in your chair. Um, but Sharpie had a note here. Uh, sorry, I'm stealing your thing. Is, what, or do you or please talk about your note is what I was going to say. Because after, after this, this is where we see Simone. Um, and I talked a little bit to Sharpie about, I thought Simone was maybe, I don't know, she could come around, but I, I had a lot of hope for her. Yeah. Like she talked a big game. And I know I've made all the jokes about the thumb and the butt, but I mean, to me, that's a, woman who's taking charge of her sexuality in the situation she's in and she mm-hmm. knew what she was doing and after this scene it it seemed to turn it turn it on its head joe bulo's head evidently that that she's she's not as old as we, she's not as wise as we thought oh no i think and, i think all of her behavior is just like clear complete daddy issue stuff i mean Everything she's doing and the whole reason that she's getting with Mike Milligan and stuff is because of who her dad is. Yeah, she's lost. I don't know. That's you know. Well, the, sure. the other the other secondary thing that was happening to both this this storyline between the war happening, all the other stuff I was telling Sharpie before you got here was that there's a big there's a big pressure on many scenes that all center around these ki- the kids of the kids fucking up. Right. This is happening because Simone screwed up and they knew where Otto was. That was the beginning of it. Right. She did all these things and you got to kill my, you can kill my dad. That's your only way around this. And then on top of that, there's the entire scene we haven't even started talking about, uh, about Dodd putting his faith in Charlie. So the, the, the two people that seem to want Dodd, you know, his daughter who doesn't want him because he treats him poorly, but that's like you said, yeah, daddy issues. And then the other side of the coin, Bear who's who's wants something else for his kid i mean what we're really really seeing too coming full circle i think is you look at it's it's corporate america coming in 
they're in quote unquote lobbying right. the big companies and not only that i mean and this i feel so weird i was just at a function for my job where we talked about farming and secession plans <laughs> and what's interesting is that even if they won this war None of their kids are capable of taking over the family business. Right, Simone's like, fucked up. I what can are only they fighting imagine, for? Yeah, I can only imagine what all the other girls. He said, "Wanted to give me girls." I can only imagine what the other kids are like. Rye obviously is too much of a screwball to have a steady girl or a wife. I think Dodd could child. lead. No, I'm talking but about after. But him. I'm saying after that. Right. I'm saying that the the generation after right. that. They, there's nobody for this to go to. They 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 think they. It turns out Charlie thinks he knows he wants to be in the family business. But right. we find out in this episode that he sucks at it and he's not capable. Yeah, and I capable. think Dodd's willing to give him a shot because he's at least a boy. He's a dude. You know, yeah, he's at least a guy and, because, he, and he finds something in him. See, that's what I don't like about Dodd. I like just the fact that he's such a... Misogynist. A, a misogynist and such a piece of shit about well, it that that is, drives but me again, crazy. Again, I mean, I think, you know, you're talking about a crime family. You know what I mean? You're not talking about your everyday average farmer you know what i mean no this, i know, you there's, know there's some amazing women in crime history though <laughs> <laughs> but um i like the little touch of joe bulo's head in the box and Oof. the 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 tie back to what episode two at the hotel where they're talking about the water and that it's slippery and he reaches out and just mm-hmm. just touches just touches really lightly mm-hmm. a little bit of joe bulo's Agreed. hair one last time yeah yeah wait is that what it is it's agree yeah, that's the brand. <laughs> the shampoo. That's the oh shampoo. God, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that was funny. Well, that pretty much kind of that wraps up the, I think the the storyline of the war, the Gerhards versus Kansas City. Um, what I wanted to go into next was Charlie and the Butcher. Oh, sorry, Joe. Well, one one thing I forgot to ask you guys about. I was I was just wondering what your guys' thoughts were. I, I forgot to bring this up, but how come? He didn't kill the other kitchen brother. He just knocks the shit out of him. Right. But it's clear that he didn't kill him. Yeah. Why would he kill him? Chatted about Is it that. to send a message or so that he can send the message? I or? think somebody had to survive. To relay the message, kind of deal. To relay the mm-hmm. message. Which is very medieval, like uh, where right. you, you have the one last guy to bring the head of the king back to the other king. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's it. Yeah. The other side of me, it gets all thinky about it and it's like, it's actually more painful for one of them to live. Right. Right. Okay. Sorry. We can move off that. But yeah, I mean, I just, anyway. I remember, I th- I'm I glad you brought it up. Specifically though. bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. We chatted about it, uh, I think, really briefly in the hot dish, but I think it's worth bringing it up again. So we've got the Butcher of Laverne, yeah. which is phenomenal. <laughs> that, yes. That, that poor old Ed yeah, right. was just like, could, could barely just harm. The good guy. <laughs> yeah. The complete opposite of Dodd, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, just Dodd, the complete opposite. Dodd's like, yes. yeah, it was, it was the butcher of Laverne. Contract. Contract killer. Yeah. A contract killer in Laverne. Yeah, right. <laughs> Except he's out of, he's he's out the of butcher Kansas of Laverne. City. He's called the butcher of Laverne, but he's based out of Kansas City. And that's what makes me think. If you go back to that scene, that's the way the story unfolds. His lie is so shitty. Yeah, he's, and I was he's actually, not that bright. Was, yeah, but I was going to bring that up too, is that I think that's one of those moments, and I don't know if they wrote it to play this way or not, but the lie sucks, and it's so bad that Floyd knows it's a lie. Mm. But if she can hear it from Hansi, Hansi, 
she'll then go with she'll it. go with it. And she'll, even though she knows it's probably bullshit, she wants she thinks it's going to make her feel better. You know, she's in mourning, she's in pain, she just lost her baby. You know what I mean? Like that's to me. I kind of thought that was part of it. Like for her, then it was like, okay, well, I don't know if I can just go off your word, but now he says it. So okay, yeah, let's let's yeah, let's kill this son of a bitch. Slightly you know? punishing Hanzi by making him lie to her face. Because she might be know that, that, that that's really going to kill him to, to do that. And she's going to see if he's going to go through with it. Right. She just found out his true loyalty. Yep. What if that disappointment at the kitchen table is all about what they're doing to her right now that she can't fix at the moment? What if it's not even about Rye? What if she's like, these two maybe piss ants are lying to my face right. and I'm not going to create turmoil in the family right now because you started a war. Right. Well, yeah, because there's really nothing you can do about it at that point, you know? Yeah. She's realizing her family is crumbling. Ugh. The eagle's nest. So anyways, I think she was sort of willfully allowing that to be the truth. Yeah. You know, because I think, you know, the war is obviously something she really wanted to avoid, but more than that in this moment i think she wants revenge for rye i think if they would have accepted the offer she would have take she would have made the democratic choice to barter and deal yeah for I sure agree. and and but her hand was completely forced keep in so. mind the this uh scene in the kitchen now that she knows rye's gone this isn't where she decided to have war she already decided that before knowing rye was even dead Oh no! So yeah. I think that yeah. backs up your your last point even more, Bill. Is that it, it's? I mean, she already was going to war. Um, now she knows Rise dead. Now she knows that these two are lying to her. She's being toyed with. Yeah. Here, here's the other reason I but think. But she also knows that it's not a good point to to start an argument. You know. Right. <laughs> I mean. Well, obviously it it has catastrophic um, repercussions, but. Yeah, like Sharpie said, moms know when you're doing shit. Or did you say that? Was that you on the hot dish? Yeah, I said that. Who else would I have been talking about <laughs> on the hot dish? Holy crap. Yeah. Um, like when it, you're mooning people it, in the back it, of a Ford Explorer in eighth grade. Yeah, but I mean, we don't that's, need what, to go that's, into why, that. <laughs> that's why she steps in too, even with the, the Simone talk in the kitchen out of nowhere. Simone is getting a talking to from her dad and boom, she's there and she's like, you go, that was move, a bold move on, scene. move on, basically. She's like, leave her, just step off. Yeah, that was interesting. I thought so, in that moment, that was, I really thought at that point, Dodd was going to be like, you know, don't interfere. This is my daughter kind of thing. And he, he allowed Floyd to control that situation. I think, but I think, yeah. So, so we've, I think we, we got to, we're, we're going to murder this kitchen thing if we keep talking about it. Cause it was, mm -hmm. it was a lot of stuff going on and I think it was all important. I think Sharpie's right that it's a lot of foreshadowing of things to come, but, um, uh, basically, there's a war in the woods that starts, and then, it, well, it's an assault in the woods, and the second assault is Charlie, this, this scene where Charlie, Dodd gives him the go-ahead to pull the, be the trigger man to kill the butcher. The butcher of, of Laverne. Laverne from Kansas City. Um, so this was pretty fun to watch. Um it was kind of heart-wrenching. There were there are a couple of scenes that were heart-wrenching, and I thought this one. I mean, there's obviously the the deal with the Solversons, but we'll get to that later. Um, this this is 
Charlie's time to shine, right? This is Charlie's been wanting to to you know be made this whole time. He's been he wants to be a, a, a true gangster. He wants to be part of the pack, and now is his time to off the butcher of Laverne, and things change quite a bit once once the gun is in his hand. So he goes into Bud's meats and starts up a little conversation with the lovely Noreen. Now this is why such a great oh my God. great scene no without knowing when you're watching it for the first time without knowing what was going to happen you knew what was going to happen in a way you know what i mean like yeah, i don't yeah. know just by listening to all that and well the man you know, charlie's oh, with God. i believe his name was virgil uh when he yeah. says hey there can't be any witnesses and yeah. the first person charlie runs into is noreen at bud's meets you immediately start to sink a little bit because she's so adorable. Oh, she's just God. sitting there reading yeah. her book, and she's, <laughs> she's so flirty with Charlie that you're just like, "Oh God, no! This cannot happen!" Right? And you Arnold's see him really start great. To sweat. What's really great is she, in stark contrast to both Charlie and, um, Jesus. Joe, what's in this whiskey we're drinking? Uh, in stark contrast to, I just well called her Sabrina. Holy cow, what is in this? In, in, in stark contrast to both the grandchildren in the Simone. Gerhardt family. Sim- thank you, Simone. Sabrina. <laughs> Jesus. In stark contrast to the both of these other children we've been partially following in this story this week, Noreen gets it. Right. She completely understands that it's all pointless. I mean, it's totally horrible, but she's reading the book and she's like, yeah, no matter what we do. And she, even with Ed, she's like, well, yeah, but in the end, still dead. Yeah, but both. Yeah, and, her- and Ed does not want to hear this. <laughs> Ed does not want to hear this right. after leaving and having the conversation at home. The shitstorm that he's in, in the right pack now. the racked basement. Yeah, he does not want to hear this with you know? his hoarder wife. Oh, my gosh. But they both, they both, um, both Noreen and Charlie. So they go through their whole like flirtiness, and it's fun and it's fun to watch. And she's just like so cute, and it's awesome. And then, but they both do one eighties in this in this little montage here because Charlie goes in and he's got to kill a dude, and he's got to make sure there's no witnesses, and you know he's got to he's got to do the family good. Her, on the other hand, she's talking about how, you know, life's a joke and life's pretty much pointless because y'all end up dead anyway. But as the scene progresses, Charlie, the supposed, you know, hitman, can't do it. And he's he, he fails. He turns. He, he, he's, he can't he pull the trigger. He buys a pound of bacon. He buys a pound <laughs> of bacon. Um, even when he goes back in to kill the butcher, to kill Ed, he's still, you know, very not confident in doing it. You can tell he still doesn't really want to do it. He's shaking all over the place. And so the hitman turns a 180 and can't do it anymore. And Noreen, contrary, the one who's like all about how, what's the point, we all die anyway, instead of just like going after him or just like giving into the bullet, she starts defending herself. So like why is she, if she's that morose, she clearly right. she clearly isn't as morose as her projection right. is because she completely goes around and she fights for her life despite how pointless it is and how much of a well, joke it is, you know? Yeah. And I found it super interesting how at the end of the scene, she's the one who tells Ed that he's still alive and 
he's got to pull him out. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. she's the one exactly. who said, why does it matter, you know? And, and then all of a sudden, she's the one saying, yeah. no, you got to save him. Yeah, right. Exactly. So they both Especially they both the took guy some who's trying to kill him, there. you know? Everybody has a crisis of their current character. Right. Um, my, I love the uh, tweet we got from uh, Lindsay on uh, Twitter that it reminded her him of uh, Lydia from... Uh, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> she might not have been wearing the clothes, but she had that attitude. The bangs. That same attitude. The, yeah. Um, Sharpie noticed. You noticed that great thing that we've we've seen it in the back of the scene all the time in the butcher shop at the uh, the carved uh, wooden Indian. Yeah, the if Indian. you look at mm-hmm. the way it works, Sharpie texts me, and I was like, "Holy shit! That thing is just staring. It is everybody sta- down. Yeah. It's staring right at for, well, the way it's framed." The little wooden, the the large wooden wood Native American, I guess you'd say, <laughs> is right in between uh, Charlie and Noreen. But the Indian is staring right at Charlie. So I was yeah. wondering, since we were on the line of like foreshadowing stuff, I'm wondering if this is not going to foreshadow some sort of confrontation between or some sort of conflict between Hansi and Charlie. Are their paths going to cross at some point, and how is that going to end up? I don't know, but yeah. it—I mean—that Indian was just a dead stare right into him. Yeah, it was interesting. If anything, it was just fun. It was fun. It was just like it was the it, it, even if he was just the hovering Gerhardt family, right? You know. Well, you the, never the notice anything <laughs> in this show him. by accident. You know what I mean? It was. I think there's there a lot of intention. A yeah, there's exactly. a lot of intention in this show. So. Yeah. Well, I think right now is a good time to take a, a quick sponsor break and to tell everybody how much we really appreciate Fargo Brewing, located here in Fargo, North Dakota, uh, for sponsoring this season of Fargo Talks Fargo. And so what you can do to help us out is if you live in the area or if you live in one of the areas they serve, you need to go to FargoBrewing.com and look that up. Look up where they have their beer what's going on, uh, and you need to go in and order it. Oh, Sharpie opened a beer there. Um, well, Joe and I do not have beer tonight. We are drinking uh, Irish whiskey, but close enough. In the middle of my read, of course, I mm-hmm. mentioned whiskey. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, and by read, I mean this is all off it's the radio of bill. The they don't know There's, that. There is no, we don't write these things very obviously. Um, but for real, go, go check them out. I mean, I know even coming up uh, still this coming week uh, in Sioux Falls, right? There's a tap takeover, Sharpie. Um, I think that was uh Saturday. Oh shit, that was last week. That was that was the seventh. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. But I do know that tomorrow night in uh just outside the Minneapolis area, they have a a beer dinner happening at the Clada, and uh, I've encouraged my brother who lives that direction to go to that. So if you live in the Twin Cities area, you should go to that. Here in Fargo, coming up, they have a People's Choice Tap Takeover going on at the Worst or Thirst Beer House with the umlauts over the U. So check that out. If you don't live anywhere near here, highly recommend you travel to an area where you can get some of Fargo Brewing's beer and check that out. Their Wood Chipper IPA is the official beer sponsor for Fargo Talks Fargo, but it is not the only beer they brew. They brew many lovely and drinkable, delicious beers. So please head to FargoBrewing.com and check them out. Start, you know, drive some drive some web traffic their day their way, and they'll say, "Wow, we always get a bump in traffic." So all you got to do is go out to the web, put that in a browser, and go there. And that's how you help us out with the show and show your appreciation. So um, back to the show. Sharpie has na- named this section P-Talk 
And I think I'm going to open with just playing this section. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's good. Been holding oh, it since Ortonville. My wife puts this potpourri in the bus toilet and barely breathe in there. They do like their scents. Where'd you serve, son? Love that line. <laughs> Mekong Delta. Swift boat patrol. Two tours. Well, I sure appreciate your service. Every generation has their time. From a president who never served overseas. I remember overseas. back in 42, <laughs> America just joined the war. I was working on that. Yet he feels to tell Operation a story about a movie. Yeah. God, what a douche. We dropped behind enemy lines trying to rescue Jimmy Whitmore and Lorraine Day from this SS commando. Bob Stack was on loan from Selznick. That Nazi bastard had us cornered. We were done for, but in the end, with a little American ingenuity, we managed to, uh... Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Um, <laughs> I, don't it, I don't think we made it out of that one. Or did we? He does a great Reagan. Oh, shit, I can't remember. Well, either way, it was a fine picture. Especially when you can just hear him. Um, right. Yeah. It's just enough Reagan. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't overdo it at all. It's interesting, though. Governor, I don't mean to... Uh, this is the one thing we got to keep going What we did for. over there, the war, um, and now, my wife's got lymphoma, uh, stage three. And uh, lately, the state of things... Uh, well, sometimes I... Late at night... I wonder if maybe the sickness of this world, if it isn't... Inside my wife, somehow. The, the cancer. I don't. I don't know what I'm saying. Except, do you really think we'll get out of this mess we're in? Son, there's not a challenge on God's earth that can't be overcome by an American. And I truly believe that. Yeah. But how? A little no bit. Answer. Total, <laughs> total politician. Yeah, no yeah. actual Big answer. Time. No actual answer. So Sharpie wanted to talk about this real quick, but before he gives his little take, I, I, I've been trying to do a better job of giving things I feel are our take, you know, our unique perspective of mm -hmm. being and growing up in the Midwest. And we're not the only Midwest podcast on this show. I know uh, Minnesota Public Radio does one. They just don't curse and aren't as much of an asshole as we are sometimes. Um, this is very un-Minnesota right now for me. Nobody I know from that era would stand at a urinal and talk to somebody they don't know very well, let alone somebody they do know. Do you know what I mean? Like when you go to the bathroom. Oh, I don't know. That happened to me at the bar last week. No, I mean like, I mean, I'm talking about <laughs> as deep, as deep as this was. Sure. Like, like. Yeah, but you're also not always pissing next to the president. I know, but if I'm standing next to the president, I'm not going to be like, not so, saying anything. so yeah. the evil of the world's manifesting itself in my wife's cancer. That's the kind of stuff I right, feel. I, I feel Minnesotans and North Dakotans, to some degree, don't like to wear their problems sure. on their shoulder that way. Do I you know agree, what I mean? And that? I think I think up to this point, Lou's done a good job of doing that. You know, they're they're oh, not exposing Molly to it very much. He's been very reserved and doesn't really talk about it very often to anybody else. Yeah, and and I feel that this was like his one shot at talking to the next potential president of the U United States. You know, yeah. I. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I, guess, I just plus what it's, it's, it makes for good. It makes for good 
TV. Right. I, I'm saying I get that, but I'm just saying from a perspective of like that kind of thing. Oh, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. There's a lot of crap that gets said to you at a urinal and right. bar in an American Legion here downtown right. in Fargo. There's a lot of weird stuff people will tell you, but I just meant he's on a detail. Right. I just, I, it's, it's a really minor point, but I'm just trying to notice a few random things that I'm still like. One, one thing that I noticed about this scene and then the scene in the, in, um, Ed's basement when they're talking about, um, what's Ed's wife's name? Um, Peg, Peggy, Peggy, when she's, they're going back and forth. And then, um, in this scene with Lou and Reagan, when Lou's talking, he does something that to me is so very, I don't know if it's a Midwestern thing or if it's just very regional to like the upper Midwest or Minnesota type thing. But he, as I'm doing right now, starts sentences, doesn't finish them, but the conversation goes on. Everybody knows exactly what's being said and how the conversation's going on. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, I just think that, uh, well, it's kind of like, um, you know, and then it just kind of like moves on, but like everybody knows what's being said. It, it just, I think you it's just, freaking I, think, fantastic. I think that's just the premise of the entire podcast for Sharpie and I some weeks. Yeah, right. yeah you know, just, it's kind of like, uh, well, we, right, right, so, right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. I, you uh, get that. Yeah. As the person who edits our podcast <laughs> from time to time, there are a few times I think, what the hell did we just say? There was like, a, there was like a certain space of time where Sharpie right. and I didn't say anything. And I'm not just talking about the times we're drinking too much beer. I'm, I'm t- we're like, yeah, so, um, well, I mean, with the thing he, uh, well, the, exactly. And I'm like, and oh it, man, it's, it's totally a thing up here. And Ed and Peg do it perfectly in the basement and it's, it's all over the show. I mean, this happens all the time, but that conversation that they had to go way back. Um, but it was just perfect because they were having a serious conversation, but because of the whole like, Minnesota, North Dakota, nice thing. Nobody will actually say the harsh Mm -hmm. part of what they're trying to say. Mm -hmm. You know, they all get to that point where it's like, well, you know, uh, when we leave, well, where are we going? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. well, you know, we're going to go, you know, and it's like everybody kind of dances around the. Just say it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But nobody Just say it, move on. To dead A Junior. Yeah. So about a Billy Boy. I I think that's the heart of some of that stuff though. And I do I still really do love the fact that Reagan never in a in true political fashion he What a politician. What any with a little American gumption, we can do anything. Well how? Pat your shoulder and then just walk walk away. Yeah, there's there's a lot of little things within this conversation, which is why I had uh, the P-Talk section as, as part of our notes because that three minutes um, of within the show, I think there's all kinds of nuances and you guys hit on a couple a couple of them. I mean, the, the whole politician being this facade of like salvation and then not really having an answer is like perfect. Um, Yet comparing himself to the soldier who fought mm-hmm. on a swift boat, one of the like toughest dirtiest jobs that there <laughs> yeah, two, was in like the toughest tours. dirtiest war on the planet so you know? uh being that it yeah. is veterans God. day i talked to my father today and i was asking oh, yeah. him about swift boats and stuff i totally thought of your dad <laughs> when i saw this scene i'm not joking so uh we talked about it kind of in the past but i figured i might as well just bring it up because it's veterans day um so i talked to him tonight and i was like so was it a swift boat that you were on and he's like oh no 
a swift boat would be huge compared to what i was on <laughs> right and so i was like thinking yeah that was totally what he was on because i looked up the pictures and i was like yeah that looks like probably what he was on he's like no nah, that was they were out in in more of the open water or more around the coast what he was on was called a my father was on was called a pbr which was patrol boat river is what that stands for um oh, sure and so a swift boat was aluminum and, and quite a bit larger a, a pbr was you could have up to five people on it. It was fiberglass, and uh, it was actually a jet boat, which I thought was really interesting. It was essentially hmm. like a large um, jet ski, like kinda. a jet ski yeah. kind of, yeah. Okay. And that was because they could, you know, turn 180 degrees instantly. That's why they had wow. those. Um, so I thought that was. Kinda, I didn't even know that kind of technology existed. Then. I didn't either, <laughs> or that they would have had fiberglass. I mean, not that. Yeah, you know, I don't know. That's just interesting. Yeah, fiberglass in a jet uh, engine, so they would. He said they were absolutely amazing to maneuver and to drive. He said they were super fun. I mean, it's it's a huge jet ski. Um, you know, obviously not fun when people are shooting at you. And he said they used to. <laughs> he said they they were like so powerful and so fast that they would water ski behind them until uh, one of one of their guys got sniped water skiing. Oh my god! <laughs> Which is just kind of nightmarish to think about. Um, yeah. He said, "Yeah, we didn't water ski after that anymore." <laughs> so that was a little bit just of another day. another day that fun seems, in the sun yeah that seems very cohen-esque yeah, yeah right really. exactly um oh my god so and then uh reagan brings up the the movie that he references is operating <laughs> getting <laughs> right back into it you have no fucking segue for that i'm really <laughs> yeah. happy that you just went yeah. for it you're like anyway reagan uh, crickets crickets so the uh the movie Reagan references that he was in was Operation Eagle's Nest, which we saw Molly Salverson watching, watching uh, earlier this season. And I wasn't sure if that was going to be more foreshadowing. This one, probably not so much, but he's talk Reagan's talking about how they didn't make it out of that. He didn't think they made it out of that one. Um, so I didn't know if Operation Eagle's Nest, if that's like a reference to like the Gerhards being, the Gerhard compound being the Eagle's Nest and whom isn't gonna make it out of it i don't know that's that's pretty vague so i don't know if that's really anything Didn't someone earlier in the show one of the other episodes refer to the uh gerhardt compound as the eagle's nest i don't know i don't we might want to look that up at some point I yeah think, i think somebody did but there's certainly a plethora of like nazi you know right decor yeah all the eagle the, yeah the belt buckle the Mm-hmm. Yeah, P talk, P talk, <laughs> P talk. <laughs> so this episode is called the Gift of the Magi, and we we I think we discussed it enough in the not enough meaning we're not going to talk about. It. I just meant we we talked about what it was. I mean, it's in a weird way. I keep thinking, well, it's sort of a catch twenty two kind of thing in a way, but husband and wife both don't have any money and. They have things that they admire about each other or a possession and they go off and I'm trying to sum this up as fast as I can for anyone who doesn't know what it is. The husband thinks he has a beautiful wife. They, can't, they don't have money for gifts for each other and he has this pocket watch he values more than anything and so she wants to get him something that goes with that watch and to do so, she goes and ha- sells her hair and simultaneously, he's out and he sells the watch to buy her these awesome things for her hair. Yeah, the combs. In which case, they both show up back later that day, back at the ranch, and realize that now they have gotten rid of the things that those gifts go to, 
And uh, the moral of the story is um, don't sell your watch. <laughs> <laughs> At least her hair will grow back. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. And you know how long he's had that uncomfortable piece of hunk of metal up his ass? I was going to just say the same thing. <laughs> Sorry. Or how does? Yeah, there's a great quote there. That, uh, you can take um, a good look. Anyway, up the that's not that's ass. not the complete that's not the, <laughs> that's not the complete thing of the gifted match. But I mean, it's just the the idea that it's they they both were sacrificing right. something so that they could do the other, and now in turn they are, are are unable to because. And in a weird way, the tragedy of it is is that they tried to do it without the other's knowledge as an act of mm-hmm. kindness, but in turn it actually kind of fucks them over a little bit. Well, and that exactly happens in the show. Yeah. You want to talk about that, Sharp? Sure. So this one was one of the more easy parables to translate because it was it was blatantly obvious. Um, so Peggy, Peggy, finally gets like this this warmness in her heart. She's trying to like she realizes. I don't think she actually realizes, but I mean because let me just back up here. She you you start to see sort of this sense in her that she wants to do something good for her husband and she thinks she's doing something great even though we all kind of know it's too little too late but she doesn't see that so what she's doing is she's getting rid of her vehicle she's she's realizing hey i could we i could get rid of my car and i could sell it for 700 bucks as long as it's over 500 bucks that's all she needed yeah. she would have taken mm-hmm. 500 and she's like this is ed's going to love this ed'll be back on my side we'll That'll be maybe it's more of a selfish uh, thing because if she does that, it'll be on her side, and maybe they can, maybe they can eventually get out of town or whatever. But she sells the car so that Ed can have the money to buy the butcher shop. Now, gotta get. I gotta also get thought the it was. I, I also thought it was interesting too because again, you're seeing a 180 um, in a character. Now, in the same scene, you see a 180 with Ed, and you see the 180 with Peggy, just like you saw with. Charlie and uh, Noreen. Noreen. Yep. So, so what? Go ahead, Bill. What I the other thing too I just wanted to say about Peggy is that she's the only character on this show. Not that I'm I'm not suggesting we're always right about what we think about what's behind characters. I mean, obviously this is all speculation, and anyone who want, wants to listen to music or TV shows, you're going to read into it what you want or to some degree what you think is right. And it doesn't mean you're right or wrong, but she is the only person outside of the fact that I don't understand why she's in it with Ed at the moment. I don't understand why he's been her real paladin. Like she said a couple episodes ago, I don't understand what her real, what's driving her desire to leave, but she's still really mysterious to me. Like I, I don't, I don't know what it is that got her, you know, because Mm -hmm. it, I don't, to go I don't, or to stay? To, to sell the car and do that because I don't... Maybe I'm remembering we the wrong things about the episode in, in the basement is that he, was, he wasn't exactly hardcore understanding to her. They were arguing about the life he wanted to have that she doesn't. So it wasn't a complete like, you're right. And I, they're, exactly. They're still having that. that. I'm talking, you've talked, and then we, that's it. There's no decision. And so I'm still kind of confused about what is driving her current character and her current state of mind that just the act of putting her shit in a bag. And I mean, all the way down to that. She's packing the magazines, like the magazines. Well, she's, she didn't, she's, she didn't throw in a picture of Ed. She's, she's wacky. I mean, she threw in, she threw in the magazines because the idea of the place and where all, all the places you'll go, Peggy Blomquist. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just so anyway, I just wanted to say that that's her, she's a character who I just I can't I'm, I can't pin down. I can't put my finger on her. Yet. I agree, Bill. I'm struggling with that a little myself, and I don't know if it's just that them they're trying to representing they're trying to represent her as even more batshit crazy or what. But it's either that or it's just writing that's not quite thought out in that little section. And I think that the it is confusing because if she were if it if it were like completely parallel with the gift of the magi you know her selling the car seemingly would be you know her giving into the idea that they're going to stay and they're not going to be traveling around and and or or skipping town yeah i also i kind of think that it had more to do with she was constantly focused on herself in the sense that it was the magazines she had wanted out for a long time. I think that there's a lot of people uh, that live in the Midwest that live, especially in, you know, cold ass, horrible climates who constantly dream of one day going out and doing something different. Mm -hmm. And I think that for her, that was just always her dream. And before she could even realize her dream, she was just another person's, in in the same situation stuck and was going to end up being another you know midwestern wife with children and her husband owned the butcher shop in laverne you know Mm -hmm. just another small town typical midwestern thing which is what she didn't want but then i think it was just sort of an aha moment like the reality of her going picking up the car packing the bags doing all this stuff and then that moment where it was like okay, this is it. I'm, I'm, this is it. This is my opportunity. I'm ready to go. This is everything I've ever wanted. And then all of a sudden the reality of like, wow, maybe, maybe Ed is a good guy. Maybe, maybe this life is good. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, um, I think she had a, I think she had a big turning point there in the sense that I think she started to realize that her life maybe is good and it could be good. And she was maybe looking forward to that life with okay. Ed. So she was, but like she you was said, it's too little too late. In. I mean, it's well, I guess she did have a moment where she stared at his photograph on the dresser. Well, I think too, it was um, the mechanic. As soon as he said, you know, what did he say? Not pretty car. You know, whatever he said, cute car. No, he didn't say cute. Whatever he says there, I think for her, I don't, I, I, I'm not saying there's a lot of significance in what he said, but I just think that that was that moment that went, oh man, I could write this situation and for once in my life be the person that I'm always wanting to be, but without going to Hollywood, you know, or not becoming you know, a big movie star or something or whatever sure. her dream is. You know, I don't know. She remembered, I, I thought it was an interesting, I thought it was an interesting turn. She remembered a soft spot she had for it at some point in her life because that had to exist at some point. There's been so much, um, you know, polarization between those two for the whole season that at some point in their lives they had to. I think it was genuine. I don't yeah. think it was guilt or anything. Okay, right. I, I think it was a genuine, like, you know, turn in her character so her gift her her pocket watch is 
Um, er, yo, <laughs> her gift is the 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 money for the car. So now it can finally. She she went and blew all this money on Life Spring or Life whatever it is, and uh, now she's got the money for Ed, so he can put it back into the shop, and Ed can have his dream. Erstwhile, Ed is in the butcher shop about to get murdered. <laughs> butcher shop gets burned down. So no more butcher shop. So that sort of negates her gift. Ed rushes home after, you know, making sure to tell Noreen, like, he saved he saved Charlie. It was all self-defense. And then just took off running from the butcher shop. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah, like, I didn't don't try see to make yourself happening. look guilty or anything. So the other thing, too, is um, I can't remember. I apologize because um, I'm uh, crazy like that. Uh, did I bring up Jeff Tweedy last night at all? Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah, I heard Wilco. So I don't remember. Yeah, and I because I tweeted about it and we did get a response. It was so it's Jeff Tweedy covering Jose Feliciano's "Let's Find Each Other Tonight." And or yeah, I guess I shouldn't say I heard Wilco. I heard Jeff Tweedy. Um, but the lyrics to that song are "Let's find each other tonight. Everything will be all right. Don't hesitate now. Let's find each other tonight. If you need some company, Mama, take a chance on me. Don't hesitate. Let's find each other." But this is the part I think is interesting thinking about what Peggy was doing and it says you don't want to be like those other dreamers that dream about loving and never love you want to be a screamer so honey I'm open and honey I'm hoping that if you need some company take a chance on me don't hesitate now let's find each other tonight I think that kind of echoes what I was sort of sure, saying about absolutely. her turn Touche, well played Jose Feliciano and it is also a song in the movie Fargo oh really in the movie, Joe, Joe, yeah, plays when um, in the scene here. Oh, with on, the hooker. Let's see, I, let's see if I can get it on. Get it on, Bill. Let's get it on. Here it is. Get it on. Come on, YouTube, play. You're gonna have a commercial. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so crime. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't pay us any money. I'm not going to let yeah. anyone hear their ad. But in case you were wondering, a home break-in does happen every 22 seconds in America. Not know. in Fargo, it doesn't. No. We are so much better here. It's, it's funny, you know, I'll interject with a little bit of a, a Fargo insider. You know, everybody does the um, Nextdoor app, and, mm, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and we have a, a Facebook page for our neighborhood and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, direct message right from the cop that, you know, were his beat. Yeah, you know, I've had those too. Be sure you lock your garage door. Well, there's been a rash of break-ins. Couple, couple people been getting broken into, you know. <laughs> well, you know what? So uh, thinking about hunting season and the, t- the TV show Fargo, people haven't been locking their doors and they've been stealing guns. Guns. They've been stealing. Rifles, people have right? been leaving that, rifles in their people, car. My, my wife said that to me the other day. She goes, well, what the hell are people doing leaving their rifle in their car like overnight? And it's like, well, I don't know. They're probably getting up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, going. They're just getting everything ready. But I think it seems logical. It's hilarious that they do all that, but you have to be reminded to lock your door. That's just that's never been. Oh, oh, hey, by the way, uh, that that seven millimeter rifle that you've got in your back seat, you should probably lock your car (laughs) with that in there. My dad's car was stolen in Fargo. Um, we usually we usually always locked our our house, but we were we were living more closer to downtown. We weren't up north there. But my dad's car got stolen, and 
It was like, what? How does that happen? Well, it was in the driveway and the keys were in it and the doors were unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> and it was running. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was there was a there was a you thing do. on the news the other day though. Sorry. The, but you know, people this is what are happens interested. when we have Joe Riley on. People are interested in Fargo, all right. <laughs> I sure um, they are. It was uh, it was uh, on the news in the morning, and it was well. Temperatures are getting cold again. You know, everybody, don't forget, don't just leave your car running unattended with the keys in it. Someone you will know, steal it. Yeah, it could get stolen. It's like if you are up ever up here in you know December, January, February, there's a great chance that you're gonna find dozens of cars every day unattended running no one in them no one around yeah just ripe for the picking mm-hmm. you know <laughs> hopefully we didn't just become a hot source for thieves yeah right joe's joe also runs a chop shop for all of you interested yeah, yeah right. if you guys are looking for hot crime tips just follow on twitter at f-a-r-j-o-e far joe no that's right uh that's where the crime <laughs> tips are anyway so jose feliciano at the carlton celebrity presents Jose Feliciano with a limited engagement uh, from 1996 Fargo. Goes like this. Let's find each other tonight. Everything will be all right. Don't hesitate now. Let's find each other tonight. So, are you from around here? Just in town on business. Just in and out. Just a little of the old in and out. <laughs> Sorry, that's I wasn't. I wasn't. I was going to stop it a few seconds before, but why? Would because I'm gotta have that in because there. Because I wanted to let that play. Oh, just a little the old in and out. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, hats off to Jeff Tweedy, who is. Uh, hats off to you, Bill, for catching that. Shit. Well, yeah. I it's Wilco is one of my favorite bands. Yeah, I and, got uh, it right I, away. I heard, I was him, like, oh, but... Jeff Tweedy's voice. Yeah. And we even got a, Jeff Tweedy. We got a confirmation on Twitter, too, which was pretty awesome. From, uh, yeah, from the music supervisor. Mm-hmm. So she's been uh, helping uh, pick so, those songs out. So I love what she's been doing. It's oh, been awesome. Fantastic. She, and, she and Jeff Russo has been rocking the score. So now that we've, you know what, I'm going to do our last sponsor read, and then we can do our wrap-up after that. Is that okay with you, Sharpie? Um, no, let's fin- let's finish up with the oh. gift of the Magi. No, oh, fine, be that way. Snowbill. So do so, it. Well, we were just talking about uh, Peggy's gift being the cash for the car. Um, yeah, how does this tie into your rant from Fargo and leaving your cars running? You turds. <laughs> <laughs> we are don't do it. Fucking terrible at segways. Oh wait, the oh so yes, so the car. Speaking of Peggy selling her car, Sharpie, what happened <laughs> with Ed? Yeah, <laughs> so you know, stealing cars, She's talking about cars. So Peggy sells her car. And that's her <laughs> gift. <laughs> um, ding, 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 ding. But we know the butcher shop has burned down. And on the on the hot dish, which is our quick reaction that comes out on Monday night, if you don't if you don't listen to that, just just so you know, that we we kind of briefly talked about the gift of the Magi, and we were talking about so what's Ed's gift, and having a little bit more time to think about it. Because we were wondering, like, is Ed's gift, you know, just the sacrifice that now there is no butcher shop, so now they can do whatever they want and. I don't I don't think it's exactly that but what it is I think is the fact that Ed or Ed has now turned uh on his opinion because actually the butcher shop doesn't exist Ed's now 
done the 180. A lot of 180s in this episode. Yep. Uh, and he now wants to take off. So this whole time he's wanted to stay and, you know, have the, have the wife and the kids and the dog and the house right. and the shop. And now he's the complete opposite. Now he's like, Peggy, we got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Let's well, go it's right funny now. Too because <laughs> it's the exact thing that Peggy said would happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she's like, well, if they're coming and this is happening, we need to get out of here. And it was like, no, we'll make it work. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, wait, no. Lou was the reality right. of the situation right. is you're going to get killed. And then it's like, once that it becomes a reality, then it's like, okay, yep, maybe you're right. We better get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and so, Again, he's too little too late, just like she's too exactly. little too late. Again, it, it's the same. It's, it's that's I agree with so you. That's, that's the gift. his gift, which is, and just like her gift of the cash for the shop was negated by the shop being burned down, his gift of let's get the fuck out of here is negated by the fact that the police show up at their doorstep right as they're about to leave. Poor Ed. Poor Ed. Fucking stupid Ed. (laughs) Although I do have to say, great with a cleaver. (laughs) Yeah, he knows how to... That scene too with Ed when when, uh, Charlie's imagination runs wild. And he comes through and he's just like, Blood covered. Oh and like, right. God, that the was satanic, so awesome. The butcher of Laverne, and then it turns out he's just got some rashers. He's just got some <laughs> yeah. rashers and some pork belly, and he comes out of that, and he's smiling, and he's kind of goofy. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was whatever he says halfway, halfway into, into a, hog a hog or whatever. I also love how polite Big Dumb Ed is. Yeah, uh, to Peggy when he's in a rush, she's got a whole bunch of stuff, and she's trying to give him all sorts <laughs> of wonderful news, and he's like, "Huh? Yeah. Oh, oh that that that's great. Thank you." But yeah. we got to get the fuck out of town. <laughs> yeah, it's the, funny. The he lets he, like, her finish. Yeah. He just lets her say what she's got, and then he thanks her, and then he moves on to his thing. He's like, one track, mine. But she doesn't, no comment about, why is there blood all over your shirt? <laughs> all right, so that's the gift of the Magi. Let's go into our sponsor break. Sponsor, second sponsor is Audible. If you go to Audible Trial, that's A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com and sign up, you can get a free 30-day trial to Audible. And if you don't know what Audible is, and that means you haven't been listening to the show, and we keep explaining it to you, so I'm just going to skip that part. Unless you just tuned in this week, they're audiobooks, and they're awesome. And if you're already listening to a podcast, this is totally already up your alley. So every week, we try to make our own recommendation for what we can do. We've done a lot of sci-fi, some dystopian future stuff. I threw out an Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain Kitchen Confidential, and uh, this week uh, I'm going to make a, here's the deal, if you're going to get one free credit when you sign up for the 30-day trial and you want to stretch your trial, you need to go get the Brothers K, that's the Brothers K, like the letter K. Maybe it's about the Kitchen Brothers. Ooh, tie Oh, back. the Brothers K. Could but be. it has nothing to do with guys who mow down people. But uh, The Brothers K is by David James Duncan, and this book is 28 plus hours long. And you're like, that's too long. No, it's not, because the story is awesome. Okay, um, I'm looking that up right now. It's, it's, um, it, David James Duncan wrote one of my other favorite books that I read in college, uh, which is The River Y. But if you want, you want bang for your buck for your free trial, I say go with The Brothers K. And it's... It's a whole story about the Chance family, and here I'm just going to read this straight from the thing. It's, it's a father whose dreams of glory on the baseball field are shattered by a mill accident, a mother who clings obsessively to religion, 
as a ward against the darkest hour of her past, and four brothers who come of age during a seismic upheaval of the 60s. Um, and they have their own ways of dealing with this stuff, and it's just, it is seriously a fantastic book. I, I read it before Audible existed, or maybe they did exist, I just wasn't smart enough to have a membership back then. But I've already purchased this. It's in my library. I will be listening to this. I just, I've been waiting for a really big trip that I know I'm going to be gone for a long time on uh, to listen to it. And it's just, it's really fantastic. And you can get I it love for the story. one credit. One credit. All you have to do is Booyah. sign up and use our code, and that's 18 bucks. Yep. So that's audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo. And I, I highly recommend well, a good way highly, to make sure highly you recommend get through that. a long book. Yeah, it's just it's really you know, good. What it's, I like, there's descriptive scenes in this book that just the just and I, here's the crazy part: it's all about a family that really loves baseball, and I don't really like baseball. It's the worst sport. But I, I love, but that's but that's the thing is that it's the it's the <laughs> America's pastime. It's well, it just is the not. under. It's the under, America's <laughs> it pastime is drinking booze and getting fat, Joe. Tailgating. Oh, tailgating. let's just go with getting fat. sausage. So anyway, please please go if you want to help support us and you're enjoying this show. Go to audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo and check out any of the books. If you're if you're not down with that book, go back and check out any of the other recommendations that are underneath on our website, FargoTalksFargo.com. If you click on any of the show episodes at the bottom underneath the picture, I always post if there's been a recommendation for a book that week. So that's my recommendation this week is The Brothers K by David James Duncan. Uh, you know what else I like about Audible is uh, like one of the things that I use it a lot for is you're constantly out there getting recommended books and you gotta you gotta write that shit down. And so what I do is when somebody's like, Oh, you gotta read this book. So I go straight to wish the Audible list. app, I add it to my wish list. Now I got like a I I mean well, my wish list is two dozen items. It's gonna take me a while to get through, but <laughs> at least it's there because otherwise you forget. It's like you remember the days I, of going to the going to the video store like a blockbuster or something like that yeah and you yep. you you know like you have this entire idea of movies you want to see but the second you walk into a video rental store you don't remember a single one of them and you just kind of walk up and down the aisles um but but we would love it if some of you would sign up because i truly i truly think it's great anyway you wanted to talk about the solversons yeah because i thought that you were the scene with uh, Betsy and Molly and Hank Larson was pretty great, and it was both sort of, it was heart wrenching. It was warming. It oh, was God. Um, it was. It was warming, but it was also very sad because, you know, Ted Danson doesn't get a lot of play in this in this episode or in this season, really. Um, but you know, he definitely makes the most of it. So. I mean, he's just such a lovable character, and you can tell he's struggling with the fact that his daughter has lymphoma, and we learn that she's taking the drugs, the trial, uh, Xanadu, and she's feeling very nauseous. Now, we don't know. We like to think, and in Betsy's mind, she's remaining a little bit positive in the sense that she thinks she got the real drug because she's nauseous, um, Mm -hmm. because it's clearly not candy if it's making her sick, but... It could be the cancer or making her sick. Or she's dying. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, or it could be the stage three lymphoma. Or it could be the lymphoma. Everything about it is, I do, I agree with you that there's a bunch of stuff I loved about this on my second time through. Sure. The great acting. That's what I'm, uh, it was the, just the, really the, good acting. The moment, especially Ted Danson. The I mean. moment where she and, and Hank moved from the dining room table 
and we even just stepping away from the UFO, just step away from the UFO, his leaning across that counter island thing and just having to full-blown break that wall and just say, I just, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't. And it's, it's, um, you know, everybody's got, everybody's got a parent, but I mean, even for me, uh, my, my father's had some uh, very similar health issues and it's just, yeah, it's just hard. And then when you've got those and you know what that's like, it's just, it's rough. It's rough. But I think, I, I think what it sets up for me in terms of Betsy and what it means to her having half of her mother's genes is that it's still just, it's reinforcing that next, that next generation for mm-hmm. Molly that we already know what she's like the next, the next, section of her life that we have had a peek into is that she's that same thing she's she's smart she's deductive she understands people she knows what to say she knows how to sit sit in the pocket when she needs to um and she knows when to ask for help and uh but yes i think that scene is i think it's fantastic and just yeah yeah and that's why i wanted to come back to it because definitely worth talking about yeah. It's one of my favorite scenes. I even like that they I even like that she actually called Molly Mally. You, I I kind of caught that too. And they left it in and I wasn't sure if that was like an accident or if that was on purpose or whatever, but I loved the or fact that Or if that, that was, was just there. her speech pattern kind of thing, yeah. like or if that her was her sickness, kinda, yeah. you know, kind right. of like screwing up her. It maybe it was the nauseousness like she called her daughter her daughter Molly Mally. And it was very clear. Right. Um, and there's a lot of green references. And Bill, you talked about this. Like when we, when we were watching the in, the live broadcast of the show, Bill was like, what's with all these green cups? Because that's a color that we're Well, there's the green seeing. cup and there's there's just a few things and it's just breaking. And then the there's a, a blanket with green on it. So there's just these hints of colors. But I think, and it just might be pops of color sure. that they've chosen to put But through. she And Betsy it does say- on when, camera. When, but Betsy mentions the fact that the cancer drug sh- is probably not candy. Molly says candy, like yeah, immediately catches her attention. Betsy and then she comes says, back eat with something green and we'll talk. Eat something green and we'll talk. That did stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, green green cup. again. Great Midwestern uh, dialogue mm-hmm. going right. on in this scene. And so there's this green. There's a there's a dot of green and like so I'm I'm scrubbing through this right now. Um in the drive god is it even in the driveway the cup no starting with the shot right outside the place and i don't care if it means something special it just is what it is joe can see what i'm talking about the opening shot sharpie scrub through it right now we're looking over the top of the the cruiser and green car in the driveway just splash of green plus the green trees then you cut and you see a bunch of the regular scenes and cut to another thing and eventually we get to this green cup in the middle of the table and then you go a little farther in and it cuts to a, a shot from the side and there's the green cup and then there's like a little green lower vase of some sort on the on the the buffet as my grandmother or somebody would call it. That's um, what I'd call and it. And then you you go a little farther forward and even in the UFO, um, if it is the mother, father, dad Dad's wearing the green shirt. Dad's wearing the green shirt. Hey. And it cuts back. It's like so everything has like a, a splash of in- green in it. It just and then the blanket. It's just interesting. In that scene when Hank comes when up go to, the, to the table, is she hiding the picture that Molly drew or is she hiding the pills? I think she's hiding the trial. 
Yeah, but she oh, specifically drug. talks to him about the drug. Right. That's why I was kind of confused because I thought oh, at yeah, first she was hiding him from Molly. She's like, oh, we don't want her to know that I'm sick and we're trying to prevent her from knowing don't... that. But then at the same time, then she's openly talking about it. She's openly talking about it. She, you might yeah, be, I don't that's know. A, that's a good catch, Joe. She might be hiding the picture. Yeah, like she hasn't quite put it together yet, but she knows there's some. this has triggered something for her, but she doesn't want to give it away yet because she hasn't figured it out completely. I like and the like, way you're thinking I think right she now. Gives, she gives so much to Hank and Lou and everybody, you know, with her... You know, detective, just natural detective instincts. I, I thought she was like, you know, this just isn't quite done baking in the oven. I'm gonna just, yeah. I just need a little bit more time before I want to talk. About and the this. same goes yeah. for us, right? That whole scene over that little, uh, that little kitchen island. Everything's brown. Everything's brown except for the uh, the. There's a little pop of yellow on the dishes and the green strainer. I, I'm just. I don't think it has to always mean something. I just think visually, it's just it's it's fascinating and interesting. I would love to hear the breakdown of, but yeah, I think you guys are. Yeah, I mean, we don't know where this UFO thing's going, but it is blatantly the. I mean, I mean, not blatantly because I didn't even notice it the first time, but it is interesting, Joe, how you bring that up, how she's kind of hiding that picture. I did like the. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about the the struggle in the butcher shop, but man, Ed's uh. He stays in it for a second. I thought he was going to shoot. Mm-hmm. Like when he was getting choked. Yeah, out. when he's getting yeah. choked out, I thought maybe it's going to just like kind of give up. Well, just I thought so too, especially with sort of the whether you want to call it foreshadowing or not. But when um, what's the shop? Buds um, meets. Buds meets. Well, no, sorry, um, Noreen. The Noreen. Thank you. Um, you know when she's talking about the book and she's saying well it doesn't matter you know all, you know you're gonna die you know and then your grandfather well then what happened he died you know and, and i think that's I great writing that, it, and i thought that because they just had gone through that that that's why bud was gonna give up yep. because in his mind he was just talking to her and it was like well fuck it give up you're just gonna die anyway <sighs> and then it was like nope found a whatever the hell it was and smashed him in the head so continuing with side notes we're not sure about what's with Ed's long stare at the painting. I don't know uh, of the cows in the field with the barn and the white thing. I don't. I'm not sure if I know what that is yet, but it it's not nothing. Why the yeah? Because they definitely why, made why a would, point why to would have they, him stare at that painting, and, and, and then they go us. back to the painting, and then back to Ed. You know, it was like, what is the significance there? I think, and it's just so it's a bunch of cows in a field. So yes, he's a butcher. He works with it. It's I. I don't know. I haven't pinned that one. I haven't pinned those pieces together yet. Sharpie, do you have any? I mean, I don't. I thought we saw something similar in the courthouse. I'm looking back right now. It's probably. Hope I have to catch up. Which episode we'll was that? On this, Three. On uh, the next episode, probably. But yeah, we shouldn't break this down yeah. now. Um, but either way, yeah. So there's there's something to that. Um, no, n- nothing happened with Constance outside of the fact that she was sitting with Betsy at the. At the thing, so I don't know. I don't have any other weird notice, notice noticeable points. But so here's the deal: if you, we're, we'll wrap it up here. We want to thank Joe so much for coming on again. And um, next week we have another guest coming on. Um, and we've got another one lined up for the week after. Uh, Carmela is going to come on from. She runs a Tumblr about uh, Fargo, and she was on last season. She's going to be coming on next week if that all works yep. out. She's from Melbourne, Australia, so that's. 
our international mm. guest we're going to have on the She's show. Great. Ah, good day, Mike. Throw oh, another shrimp on the Bobby. <laughs> oh, Thank you for putting that in there, Joe. Ruining, yep. we ruined. Had everything. to. I wouldn't. When was I going to ever have that opportunity? <laughs> we ruin everything. Um, but so that's going to happen. So if there's anything you think of in between, though, we Austria. we we loved we loved well, getting in. <laughs> we loved getting an email this week. It was really fun to see those things, and I'll, it'll be great to see if any of those ideas that. Uh, uh, that come to fruition feel free we love seeing that you guys are tweeting us and when we can we answer um so we're at fargo talks fargo on twitter on facebook we're facebook.com slash fargo talks fargo if you want to follow sharpie he's on twitter as well at at c-h-a-r-p-i-e you can find me at at l-e-m as in mary p as in paul e on twitter and if you want to follow joe is your is your twitter account public or no uh it was. I don't think it is anymore. Well, so don't follow off. at Farjo. He <laughs> yeah. doesn't want to share you. with you. Um, but that's where you can do it. We we welcome all interaction with you guys. And um, I did. I almost. I still got to do it, man. I'm gonna. I'm gonna figure out how to FedEx you fresh, fresh old fashions donuts, Sharpie. I'm still. I think mm. about it. I've been thinking about it ever since that I can't get away from it. That um. That you need to you need to have one. I know you don't love sweets, but you didn't know what did you? I'm sorry. It's happening. It's happening okay. here, folks. Joe, Rabbit hole. Did you know what an old fashioned was? You know, I didn't know it Outside by the, the name old fashioned. Did you know it as an old fashioned sour cream? I, I knew it as a as a sour cream uh, cake donut. You Would know. you have known it as a sour cream if they had called no. that? No, oh, man, see? I don't yeah. know cakes and love them. My favorite. Oh, did, yeah. so you, did you listen to the episode? Lie yes. to me. Okay, good. Yeah. Like, I would lie to me. Lie of to course, me. I did. Yeah. My favorite donut. So, uh, that's the scoop. I just, I feel like if somebody's in like the United States and you don't know what one of these is, I feel like I want to do some sort of contest <laughs> where I can, I will FedEx once. I'm going to test it with Sharpie as my guinea pig. And at the end of the season, if we can get these to Sharpie, and if you have never had these donuts and you trust us, I will FedEx you. A How will we dozen. get listeners you, they to don't, FedEx you? Can't, you can't donuts. get one in Denver. Oh my god, that would be fun! You really want to give out your address to a ton of people over the internet, and right you now? want to eat a donut mailed to you by a complete stranger? Yeah, yeah. I actually, <laughs> I actually want to see this. Seems Let's do weird. Some... <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's... <laughs> okay, we'll folks. The so show. That we'll is... talk later. <laughs> that is another episode of Fargo Talks Fargo, episode five, the gift of the Magi. We can't wait to see what comes up in uh, episode six. Thanks again to Joel for being on the show, Sharpie. We'll see you next week. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you need. To, I'm not going to end with that. You need to be <laughs> no. more like, are you going to be here? Yeah, yes, be I'll here. definitely be here. Oh, great. All right, folks, take care.